Hi, you're now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. We're happy to bring you sermons like this one every week. You can find other sermons at our site at harvest-community.org. So without further ado, here's our speaker. All right, uh, good morning and welcome again, uh, especially to uh, all of our friends who uh, are joining us just for uh, the Sunday morning service. I'm glad you're able to make it out. Uh, it has truly been a privilege for me to be here, and I uh, just want to thank you again for welcoming me with such open arms and for allowing me to just get a small glimpse of the amazing work that God is doing here at Harvest. It's been awesome to be a part of it. I'll be heading back home later this afternoon with a full heart and a renewed spring in my step, thanks to my time here with all of you this uh, weekend. Uh, We've been exploring this theme of times of refreshing. We started out with the reminder that we can't experience spiritual refreshing if we're not spiritually alive. We looked at the story of Nicodemus from John chapter 3. We talked about some of the key signs of the spiritual new birth. And we also highlighted the reality that an important first step for refreshing is remembering. We need to remember God's great works in our lives so that we can ask him to renew them in our day. We also explored the relationship between refreshing and community. And Pastor Dave mentioned this earlier uh, this morning. We noted that any true renewal begins with a sovereign work of God. He has to do what only he can do to reawaken our tired, weary souls by his spirit. But once he does that, any true and lasting renewal has to be sustained through deep experiences of community. Going even beyond the Sunday morning service, even beyond what we experience in our CGs. If we're going to keep the fire of renewal burning, we need to go closer and tighter, like on a Paul and Timothy kind of level that we saw from 2 Timothy chapter 2. Then last night, we looked at James chapter 1 and spent some time considering the way that God can use even our trials that we experience, different kinds of trials, to renew us. It's not comfortable when we go through it. That's a big part of what makes this kind of refreshing different than what we normally would expect when we think of the word refreshing. But the finished product is something beautiful to behold. A mature and complete believer who is able to present a powerful, compelling witness of who Christ is through his or her perseverance. That staying under, that remaining on the path of long obedience in the same direction. That militant patience because we trust and we submit ourselves to our loving Savior. And I noted that God can sometimes use this example of perseverance through trial to bring refreshing to other believers as they see the way we respond to the trials that will come or are already here. Well, this morning I'd like to explore the idea of refreshing through mission, and we're going to take a look at Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, let's look there together. I will read the passage and you can follow along. Jeremiah chapter 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 14 together. 
This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I'll be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Amen. This chapter that we just read has served as kind of a charter for our church. And um, I just want to state from the outset that much of what I'm going to be sharing this morning is indebted to Pastor Tim Keller from Redeemer Church in New York City. Uh, One of the first Bible studies we went through together after we opened our doors at Restoration was a series called The Gospel in Life. And if you're at all familiar with that study, then you'll notice its influence in this sermon. And I just want to state that up front. In the interest of integrity, I want to be sure to credit my source. I don't want to commit the sin of pastoral plagiarism. Um, it happens more frequently than you might realize. Um, this morning, I want to spend some time thinking about what it means to live as Christians on mission in our local communities and how living on mission can actually be a channel an avenue, a vehicle that God will use to refresh us, to bring renewal to our weary souls. For me, and for many people in my church, our local community, our city, is Naperville, and then spreading out to DuPage and Will Counties. And this passage we just read from Jeremiah 29 has been an important part of our journey together. Jeremiah is not a familiar book for a lot of Christians. In fact, it can be a very frustrating read if we don't know the background. Basically, the unthinkable has happened to God's people. 
They've repeatedly ignored God's warnings and God's pleas to stop worshiping idols. And God finally followed through on his warning and he allowed the Babylonians to conquer them. And the Babylonian army didn't do a rush job with their invasion. They were very methodical, very thorough. They basically leveled the city's outer walls. They burned the entire city to the ground, including their cherished temple that Solomon had built. And they carried off almost all of the inhabitants into exile. Only the very poorest were allowed to remain in the land. This event is still considered to be one of the most traumatic events in the history of Judaism. It happened all the way back in 586 B.C., but observant Jews today will still set apart a day of fasting and mourning to remember this event. They call it Tisha B'Av, and this year, it'll start on the evening of July 21st, just a couple weeks away. Here in Jeremiah 29, the prophet is addressing God's people shortly after this horrific event has taken place. They're now living far away from their homeland. They're living as exiles in enemy territory. Every single day when they woke up and went outside for a walk, they were reminded of their status as a conquered people. And so we could say that this was a season when God's people were in serious need for renewal. They were dying for times of refreshing. And during this drought season, they were probably asking the same question that troubles most people of faith when God seems far away. Namely, where is he? Where is God in all this? Well, there are some prophets who thought they spoke for God, and they decided to give an answer to that question. Their basic message was, pack your bags and get ready, because you're about to go home. God is going to pay our enemies back for the wrong they've done against us. We see this message in the previous chapter, in chapter 28. It says, In the fifth month of the same year, in the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who is from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of all the priests and the people, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I will bring back to this place all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. Wow, that sounds fantastic. Only two years. Well, it's fantastic only if it's true. If it's not true, then you're just giving a false hope. And that's where Jeremiah comes in. He has a different message for God's people. Don't pack your bags. Don't get ready to go home. You're going to be here a while. Build houses. Settle down. Get married. Have kids. And plan on seeing your kids get married too. Because you're in exile for the long haul. Seventy years. Babylon. That's your new city. It's not what they wanted to hear. But it's what they needed to hear because it was truth. And I think Jeremiah's words are also instructive for how God's people today should live as we think about mission and our cities. More specifically, he shows us the kind of attitude we should have toward our city, toward a local community. I mentioned just two. First, I believe we're seeing the lesson here that we should be on our city's side. 
We should be on our city side. If you look with me at verse 7, Jeremiah says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. We need to understand just how difficult this message would have been for most of the Israelites to hear. Many of the Jews at the time wanted nothing to do with the city of Babylon. As far as they were concerned, they were in the belly of the beast. When they first arrived, most of the Jews actually chose not to settle in the city itself, but in the outskirts. They lived together in their own little enclaves, partly because they hated the Babylonians, but also because they really believed they'd be heading back home soon. But now Jeremiah is telling them to pray for the city. Most of these exiles would have thought, the guy's crazy. Pray for this city, you nuts. These are the godless people who killed many of our relatives and friends. They burned our city to the ground. They forcibly took us away from our homeland. They pretty much wiped out every distinct aspect of our culture, of our national identity. And now you're telling us to pray for them? You're crazy, Jeremiah. And I think his words might still sound crazy to many Christians today who can't come to terms with the reality that America is no longer a Christian nation, right? You can't accept the reality that institutional Christianity has lost a lot of its influence on our culture and our society. And so we'll hear some of these folks either denounce what they deem to be the sins of our wicked, unbelieving society, or they'll use language like taking back our country, whatever that means. But either way, the attitude's generally hostile. Even just last night, I read a news report on CNN about a congressional candidate in Kansas who spoke in terms like this. He's quoted to have said, in his words, outside of Western civilization, there is only barbarism. Our Judeo-Christian ethic is what is civilization, and that is what is under attack here and abroad. It also goes by different name, Christendom. It is under attack And even speaking about it can bring you under attack. End quote. Now with all due respect, it seems Jeremiah's words here fly in the face of this kind of us versus them mentality. Jeremiah's message is, don't withdraw from the pagan city. And don't see the people who live there as your enemies any longer. He's calling on God's people to replace their hostility with compassionate involvement. They needed to settle there, build their homes and families there, and pray for the city of Babylon. When we first did this study at our church, one family was so convicted, they actually decided to move to Naperville. And as of now, I had to think about this last night because the numbers have changed, but as of now, I counted nine or ten families who've moved to Naperville or a neighboring town, largely because of our church. And there are a lot more who live in Naperville for other reasons. I would estimate maybe 70 to 80 percent of our congregation now live in Naperville or a neighboring city like Bolingbrook or Plainfield or Wheaton. But I can think of at least nine families who moved to Naperville largely because of the church. And now they've Settle down, and many of these families are slowly planting roots and plugging in. Many of the parents 
For example, I've volunteered in different community organizations. I've seen some of the moms who've served as Girl Scout troop leaders. Some of the dads have been soccer coaches. And it's been a great way for them to get to know their neighbors, to invite them into their homes. For myself, I volunteered as a Naperville Little League baseball coach for the last five years. And let me tell you, that's a big time commitment. (laughs) That's a lot of time on the baseball field for practices and for games and at the batting cages and at the Bull Sox Academy. But it's also a lot of time with the same kids and the same parents over the past five years. And over those years, some of those families have become friends. And since my daytime schedule is a bit more flexible, I don't have your strict, you know, nine to five, you know, punch in my time card and punch out my time card kind of, kind of operation, I've taken advantage of that opportunity to volunteer at my kids' elementary school. And I'm actually there quite a bit because I've been on the yearbook committee. I've been one of the yearbook photographers for the past three years. And in fact, this past year, I was actually the yearbook committee chair. And if you let me toot my horn a little bit, I was actually nominated last year by the school faculty to receive the district award for Parent Volunteer of the Year. It was a little awkward, to be honest, but I was honored. A little awkward. Uh, To be honest, all the teachers know who I am. Um, In fact, this past year, one of them, a fourth grade teacher, found out I was a pastor. And immediately asked me, what church are you in? I said, oh, it's called Restoration Community Church. It's a smaller church. We meet in downtown Naperville at Washington Junior High. And he said, oh, Restoration. You know, I've seen some of our students wearing that T-shirt. We actually have seven kids from our church who went to this school this past year. And some of them would see me there, you know, taking pictures or setting up uh, the tables for the uh, teacher appreciation day, and they would say really loud, "Hi, Pastor Brian!" You know, <laughs> like, "Uh huh, hey, I'm off duty here, dude." You know, just <laughs> go go to your class. Um, we have kids spread out throughout the different public schools in Naperville, and that's actually been a great way to introduce our church to friends and neighbors. Just this past week, we had lunch barbecue on on, on 4th of July with a family who started coming because the moms met at a school function and realized that their kids are in the same class. Now, please understand, I'm not saying that we all have to do all these kind of things, and I'll say that not everyone in our church has the time or the energy or the emotional bandwidth to do any of these things or all these things, even if they want to. But again, what I'm trying to address here is our attitude, our mindset. Wherever we live, we should be on our city side. And I believe that so much of our sense of mission as believers starts with this attitude. How do we see our local community? Are we indifferent? Are we there just to consume its resources and pay our taxes? Or do we live with a hope and a concern that comes from a sense of calling to love this community. We should be on our city side. Second attitude, I believe, Jeremiah is commending is we should seek our city's peace and prosperity. Those words, peace and prosperity, are lifted from uh, the NIV's rendering of verse 7. 
Look carefully what the verse says. It says, we aren't simply to seek the growth of churches in the city. We aren't just to pray for the blessing of God's people in the city. But all of our time and energy and resources should be deployed for the peace and prosperity of the city itself. That phrase, peace and prosperity, is translated as welfare in some other English language versions. It actually comes from one word in the original language. And the Hebrew word is shalom. Shalom. It's most commonly translated as peace, but I like the NIV's decision to use two words here because shalom is a word that's rich with meaning. And I don't think peace by itself does the word full justice. Shalom carries the sense of well-being and fulfillment in every aspect of existence, spiritually, psychologically, socially, even physically. We don't do the word justice when we limit it to just just mere inner spiritual peace. Shalom. You know, it's a, it's a lot more than that. It's a lot more than just that or strictly outward physical economic comfort. Okay? Shalom means being right with God, being right with yourself, Right with your community, and right even with your natural world around you. That's what God's people were to seek for the unbelieving, wicked city of Babylon, according to Jeremiah. That's what we're to strive for as God's people today. We're to seek the shalom of our city. Now, what does this mean for us practically? Well, it means several things, but if I name just two for the sake of time, I think seeking the City's peace and prosperity starts with becoming aware of our city's needs. We need to be aware of the needs in our city. We can't pray for our cities. We can't seek its peace and prosperity if, we do not, if we're not aware of its needs and challenges. You know, one challenge we've become painfully aware of in Naperville, at least, is a growing mental health crisis, especially among our young people. In just over the past 18 months, one of the public high schools in Naperville has grappled with four, four, suicides in their student body. A few of our youth group kids knew some of these students. They had classes with them. They were friends with them. And so this stuff hit them really, really hard. And so one small step we tried to take was developing a relationship with some local faith-based counseling centers in Naperville. We invited the president of one of these organizations, a Christian, a licensed therapist, to, to come and visit and just educate us, help raise our understanding and awareness of different issues related to mental health and mental illness. Another small step I've tried to take is meeting with a couple of the pastors in Naperville just to get to know them and swap stories and, and get a better feel of how they see our community and what they believe our needs and challenges are and praying for one another and having them over to speak at our church. In order to seek the peace and prosperity of our city, we need to become more aware of the different needs and challenges in our city. And I think along with that, we also need to see the bigger picture behind families and working. The bigger picture behind families and working. Like Harvest, my church has a ton of families. And again, there's a part of me that just loves watching all the kids run around like they own the place. Like, this, this college campus is their stage, and we are all players, right? We're just all the actors, but this is their stage. 
And it, it's like that um, at our church too. A lot of kids, and so a lot of busy parents. And I have to tell you, a lot of these parents are all in when it comes to their kids. They are determined to give their kids the best opportunities possible. And so they work crazy hours, and they have all these insane schedules with kids' music lessons and sports activities and foreign language lessons and so on and so forth. And I think one reason, I don't think it's the only reason, but I think one reason they come to our church is to make sure their kids will be nurtured with good values. There's nothing wrong with that, but I think for some of us, that is really the be-all and end-all. And I think that's very reflective of Naperville. Okay? It's supposed to be a great place to raise a family. It's always on this, I don't know who makes up these lists of you know, great places to live and whatnot. But I'll tell you, there's, there's a lot of family idolatry in Naperville. It's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. And I think that's also reflective of today's generation of parents. We worship and serve at the altar of our kids. And as a pastor, I always feel a need to challenge us to look beyond that and see a greater purpose. In our chapter, Jeremiah instructed the Jews living in Babylon to build houses and settle down and get married and have children, what we call raising families. He also told them to plant gardens and eat what they produce, what we might call work, family and work. So Jeremiah commends these two things. But both of these things... Raising families and workings find their true significance in light of the call to seek the shalom, seek the peace and prosperity of the city, what we might call mission. In other words, for true followers of Jesus Christ, the privilege and the responsibilities of working and raising families aren't an end in themselves. There's a bigger picture that God wants us to see and embrace. There's a mission that gives deeper meaning to the everyday lives we lead at home and at work, and yes, even at church. Now, if all this sounds a bit too lofty for us to attain in our real, everyday, ordinary, mundane lives, then let me try to connect this with our retreat theme. One important detail about this chapter is the promise that God offers for those who answer this call to seek the shalom of the city. In verse 7, Jeremiah says, Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Did you catch that? Jeremiah says that God's people will find their own peace and prosperity, not in seeking it themselves, but in seeking the peace of their city. God's people will find their own renewal when they seek the renewal of their city. The Jews had to let go of their resentment. They had to let go of their hatred, their scorn for Babylon and begin serving it and seeking its prosperity. And only then would they experience their own prosperity. Only then would their times of refreshing come. 
That seems counterintuitive at first, but in reality, it's actually consistent, completely consistent with what the rest of the Bible teaches about the Christian faith. In fact, the New Testament tells us that Jesus himself was highly exalted and given the name that's above every other name, but after he humbled himself, became a human being, and suffered and died on the cross so he could save all who would put their faith in him alone for their salvation. Just a few verses later in our chapter, God assures his people, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Some of us have memorized that verse at some point in our lives. It's basically the Old Testament version of Romans 8.28, right? Comforting reminder that God's purposes for our lives are always good purposes. But our chapter gives us the real context of the shalom, the peace that he wants for us. Same word, by the way, plans to prosper you. Our prosperity is directly related to our commitment to seek the shalom, the prosperity of our city. Or, to put it differently, we will experience a greater joy, a greater peace, a greater sense of well-being. We will experience times of refreshing when we renew our commitment to God's mission to live for our city, to seek our city's renewal. I'll close with a story that will hopefully make this feel more real. This is a picture of someone who used to go to our church. Her name's Linda Eden. Here in this picture, she's volunteering at our annual Fall Fest event. This is a big event that we offer to our community each year. We have game stations set up and craft stations, and we also invite stylists from local great clip salons to give free haircuts. And we invite pharmacists from a local Walgreens to administer flu vaccines. And the entire cafeteria at Washington Junior High School where we meet is filled with clothes and gently used books and toys to give to anyone who stops by our Fall Fest event. In fact, we actually have an amazing group of friends from Harvest who've been coming every year to help us set up and run this clothing closet. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much. We would not be able to do it without you. Linda was my next-door neighbor. She started coming to our church sometime in 2012 or 2013. She had been away from the church for a while, but after we moved in, we got to know her, and she started opening up and sharing about some of the issues she was having in her marriage and with her kids. But she told us that she was longing to reconnect with God, And finally, one Sunday morning, she showed up. I was actually a bit surprised to see her. You know, you do the nice thing and invite them. Yeah, you should come, but uh, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. And, you know, they never come. But she came. She actually came. And once she came, she just dove in headfirst. She joined a community group. She became very active in our women's ministry. She even suggested some great ideas for us to serve our community. and, And she actually took the lead on an activity project at one of our women's retreats where they made quilts together and then donated them to a local organization that serves at-risk women in the area. This is one of the last pictures we have of Linda. In the summer of 2014, she died in a tragic accident. She was taking her dog out for a walk, and the dog was apparently so excited, he pulled the leash so hard as she was coming out of her front door that 
she fell down the concrete steps and suffered serious internal bleeding. The next day, she passed away. Our family was on vacation at the time, but I remember getting the call from her husband. And so we drove back immediately. And a couple days later, I officiated her memorial service, her funeral service. At her husband's request, we held the service at one of the branches of the Naperville Public Library because, well, she loved reading, and she loved the city of Naperville, and it just seemed appropriate. And a lot of people showed up to that service, people from our church and also people from our neighborhood, and of course our family members, many of whom were not believers. Now, I remember two distinct things about that service. First, I remember I was given an opportunity to unapologetically share the hope of salvation and the hope of forgiveness of sins and the hope of eternal life that Linda knew. And I know she would have wanted me to do that because she actually pulled me aside at one point and looked me in the eye and she said, you know, Brian, I have to tell you, I think you're a little bit too time conscious when you preach. You're, you're, you're holding back and you should not hold back. You should focus on proclaiming the word. That's your priority. It was kind of a gentle rebuke. And so I took it to heart, and I decided, okay, in her honor, I'm not going to hold back. And so I just boldly talked about the gospel. I shared the good news about Christ. The second thing I remember about this service was how so many of our neighbors came up to me afterwards to thank us as a church, because it was so obvious to everyone there as they saw the way we helped plan the service with her husband, as they saw one of our elders lead in prayer, as they saw and heard many of our church folks share about what Linda meant to them during the open, open mic time. It was so obvious how much of a difference our church made in her life in just one precious life. Later on that afternoon, Jane and I, as we were talking, we kind of looked at each other and said, you know, this might be the reason why we moved to Naperville into this specific house, not just for the church, but to meet her. That service was on a, Sunday, a Saturday afternoon, and so we had Sunday service the next day, and there were a lot of tears at that Sunday service. But I also remember the time of singing was so powerful. I think for many of us, it was a clear reminder of why we planted this church in the first place. Why we planted in Naperville. And at that service, I could sense God's renewal. I could sense God's spirit refreshing us as we were singing together and grieving together and remembering together and hoping together. As we leave this retreat, as we head back home, as we continue to ask God to bring times of refreshing, I hope, I hope, we will also be bold enough to pray that God will renew us by renewing our commitment to love and serve and seek the prosperity of our city, wherever we live. Okay? You don't have to aim high. Since this is a church of next steps, you could just think, what is the next step, the next small step that God wants me to take to love my city? Okay? You could be getting to know that neighbor that just moved in or volunteering in some way in an organization that is geared toward your city. 
there'll be opportunities to talk about this in your small groups, but maybe one step you can take is, Lord, Lord, what is it you want me to do? What is the next step I can take? Show me, and then open the door. And when the door opens, Lord, give me the courage to go in, to take that opportunity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this privilege you've given to me to be at this retreat. I've been amazed and humbled by the wonderful work you are doing here. Not just at this retreat, but Lord, in this church. It is just so evident. Thank you for the leaders. Thank you for uh, all the different volunteers who give and serve in so many ways, sometimes without any recognition or acknowledgement. They do it behind the scenes just out of their love and devotion to you. Father, thank you for the times of worship we've had together. Thank you for our times in the Word. Thank you, Lord, especially for the small group discussions. Thank you, Lord, for the free time and activities. Thank you, Lord, for the conversations that have been taking place outside of these formal worship settings. Father, thank you for the convictions that you are placing on our minds and hearts, the way that you're stirring our spirits. Thank you, Lord, for any lifelines you've thrown our way, small but gentle Reminders that in the midst of trials that we may be going through, you have not left us. You're still here. You're calling us to hold on to you, to cling to you, even by a thin thread, as you remind us that it is really you who's holding on to us. It is really you who is embracing us. Father, as we prepare to go home back to our everyday ordinary lives, to our marriages and to our families, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, for the Tuba City team in just a short while, to the mission field, to our mission field, wherever you're sending us. Lord, we thank you for this reminder that you've called us not just to enjoy times of refreshing, but to be an agent of refreshing for our local community. To love and serve and pray for and seek the shalom of our cities, wherever we live. And in so doing, being able to experience a greater depth of shalom within ourselves as we follow the example of our Lord Jesus, who did not live for himself, but gave himself freely so that we could find life, joy, peace in him. We know that you go with us, Lord, as we head back home. We thank you for that great hope. We pray that you'll continue to sustain and carry on the good work that you started here in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.